Welcome to the Pearl Podcast. In today's episode, we bring in Dr. Christine Piaton. Christine is a doctor of physical therapy that specializes in women's pelvic floor health. Christine helps us identify symptoms that could be tied to pelvic floor dysfunction. She also helps us understand how overall health and pelvic health intertwine, and we get her insight as to why pelvic floor health is still not in the mainstream when it comes to prenatal and postpartum health checkups. So without further ado, Dr. Christine Piaton. All right. Hey, Dr. Christine Piaton, thank you for joining the Pearl Podcast, our second guest. Um, before we get rocking and rolling, I would like to thank our sponsor, Neckrite. Uh, if I don't know, have you seen the Neckrite yet, Christine? I don't I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it I is um, it is a great I saw this on Instagram. It is the most brilliant, simple invention. It is an inflatable, essentially an inflatable pillow that you can put on your lap. So that way, when you're using your phone, your tablet, or your book, it's bringing your phone up to head height. So that way you can correct text neck. Um, it fixes it like that. It is cool. so easy. It's like 15 bucks. If you have a kid, you need to buy one. Um, put it in your car because cell phones are destroying necks left and right. So if you go to neckright.com, N-E-C-K-R-I-T-E.com and use the promo code PROLE, P-R-O-L-E. You'll save 10% at checkout. So uh, like I said, Dr. Christine Piaton, uh, coming on board with us. And we were talking before we started rolling here. And you, uh, I was very excited to, to do this because we had worked a little bit together in the past. And uh, I had we had worked together when you were really kind of, was it fresh out of school uh, or very mm -hmm. soon, yeah. soon out of your PT program? And you were very, yep. uh, I, I would say the, uh, the general, what you would think of as a physical therapist, right? Very <laughs> orthopedic physical therapist, uh, knee rehabs and, and all that type of stuff. And then I saw you really say, Hey, this is uh, a big issue that needs to get tackled in the healthcare system. And I'm going to yeah. gravitate towards that. And that is really with uh, pelvic floor dysfunction, prenatal and postpartum health uh, for women, because there is a, a lot of misinformation and a lot of information that needs to be cleaned up and a lot of direction that needs to get pointed. So um, I am really, really excited to talk to you about this because I have a feeling you're going to you're going to blow some minds. Um, <laughs> so can you tell us real quick, how did you. How did you even get into this, right? How did you see that this was a need um, that needed to be addressed? That's a great question. Um, it was an accident, to be totally honest. So like you kind of said in our intro here, you and I met in my very first year of being a licensed clinician. I was fresh out of school, mm. um, working in a traditional outpatient orthopedic clinic, sport rehab, and that was my jam. That's what I always knew I wanted to do out of school. Um, and my own personal athletic background, I was a runner. I loved working with runners, helping with return to run specific recovery and addressing injuries and helping runners just get back to logging the miles that they wanted to. And so when I started working at the clinic where you and I met, that became a particular niche that I stepped in and said, Hey, I want to be one of the running specialists in the clinic and mm -hmm. started to really kind of build my reputation in, in 
our community around that as being a resource to support runners. And in that process, I started supporting a lot of female runners and a lot of them would become pregnant and they would then come back and when they were having some challenges postpartum, returning to run the way that they wanted to. And I started to notice that there were basically kind of two different camps that started to happen in this process. I had a group of my mother runners that would respond well to the more typical orthopedic return to sport model. And we were able to address their, you know, hip and core kind of challenges and then, you know, help scale them back up with Mm -hmm. a particular protocol. And they did fine. And then I had my other camp that we were addressing them in the very similar way working on all of those things. And that camp was still not able to get back to running for a variety of issues and reasons. And I didn't understand why I was having this kind of separation between the two groups, because I was treating them the way that the research was saying that we should treat them. I was treating them the way I had been trained in school, as well as out in the clinic and just from an orthopedic standpoint. And after further digging with some of these patients, I started to realize that, oh, we've got a different problem here. We have a pelvic floor issue mm-hmm. that isn't being addressed. And not fully understanding exactly now, I was kind of like, all right, wait, now what do I do with them? Because I'm not trained in this. We don't learn this in school. And it's still not part of the PT curriculum, which is one really? issue. Yeah. That, this is okay, not, that to me is my, that's the first mind blow for me is that this isn't even yeah. part of the curriculum. It's not part of the curriculum yet. Um, And I hope that that changes. Uh, But right now it is an advanced specialty that clinicians are learning after our graduate level degrees. Okay. So this is not considered standard, you know, uh, material that we're learning, which to me now is a really big problem because your pelvic floor is not just a female thing. Both men and women have pelvic floors. And the pelvic floor is literally a muscular sling that sits in the bowl of your pelvis that supports all of the internal organs. It controls bowel and bladder, it controls sexual function, and it is literally the functional foundation of your core system. So it isn't, it's a big piece of our body that's not getting enough attention, nor is it getting addressed in a holistic way, especially with women and most notably it's the pelvic floor is being most challenged during the prenatal and postpartum period. So yeah. um, that's when most individuals might just even start to hear the word pelvic floor and understand a little bit about what that means. Um, but that's a whole nother part we'll get into. Um, so I kind of decided, all right, there's this problem and consulted with Dr. Google, like we all do when we don't know something, (laughs) Um, and went down a bunch of different rabbit holes and eventually figured out, okay, I don't have anybody locally that I knew to reach out to or refer to. Mm -hmm. And so in my digging process, realized that there was a pelvic floor course within, within about a two hour drive for me in six weeks that was going to be hosted in LA. So I decided to sign up for the course with the intention to try to learn I still had no intention of specializing in this area, but I was like, I'm going to try to learn a little bit more to try to figure out how to fix these problems with this other group of my mother runners that I, that we don't know how to fix. Right. And that four day course completely turned my world upside down in the best of ways. Um, And I decided I really need to specialize in this area. We don't have enough clinicians doing it. This is also a really important topic, but a really sensitive topic. and 
at the time, I didn't feel super comfortable talking to my patients about such a, an intimate and sensitive area of the body, but I knew I needed to like get over that because this, right. there was such a bigger need here. And yeah. so in learning that and going through that course, that led me to take other courses. And within about probably a year or so after that, I shifted into my own practice and started moving into supporting more pelvic health while still treating sport and orthopedic and whatnot. And at that point, I was still seeing them as kind of two different entities. Um, and now having been in my own practice for almost six years, I have shifted completely. I am completely women's health, mm -hmm. but also recognizing that they are not two separate entities. They are one and the same because yeah. of the fact that if our pelvic floor is not supporting the system well and not integrated well and supported in that system, we aren't able to lift, squat, load our system well for day-to-day -day activities as well as higher level activities like running. Yeah. And so my practice has now shifted to supporting women through their prenatal and postpartum periods, but I'm also a postpartum return to run specialist. So helping to kind of bridge that gap between the orthopedic world and the pelvic health world and helping give women better guidance and support from that kind of six week postpartum, you're all clear, just ease back into exercise, which yeah. is what our medical model tells women, literally that one liner. Um, and it took me three plus years of medical school to translate what that phrase means. So it's not fair that women are being given this one line and then it's leading into women kind of developing a lot of chronic conditions that could have otherwise been avoided with better information. Yeah. So a lot of kind of this cyclical cycle of injury because they're not being better supported and understanding the strengthening component in addition to the loading challenges of day-to-day -day life, picking up kids, you know, groceries, all kinds of stuff in addition to higher level exercise, fitness activities that they love. Yeah. So it becomes a really big complicated cluster. What uh, one of the things that you just said that really, uh, again, I think kind of the second mind blow for me is when you talk about even just defining the pelvic floor, how it is literally the base and sits inside that pelvic bowl. Um, and then you say, yeah, you know, it can't be pelvic floor dysfunction and pelvic health. And then on the opposite side, orthopedic health, it is one and the same because how are you supposed to load your spine? How are you supposed to do a squat? How are you supposed to do this heavy repetitive motion if the literal base of your spine is not supported? And I think that is uh, one of the biggest misconceptions is anytime I talk to someone and they're like, oh, it's core day, it's ab days. <laughs> you know, it's just sit-ups and crunches. And like my slogan yeah. is sit-ups are stupid. There's no reason to do them. Stop doing them. There's better exercises that can be done. Um, and so I think the general public is in such a mindset still of just sit-ups are core, abs mm -hmm. are core, not right. even thinking about obliques, not thinking about posterior chain, definitely not thinking about pelvic floor and how mm -hmm. to incorporate that into your core routine and exercise. So um, right. it makes so much sense when you say it, right? Like it's it's literally just the base, it's these muscles underneath that you have to keep strong. And if you wanna function at a high level, right? Or, uh, or at least a level without pain. 
Yeah, I would just say, you know, to be able to function in your day-to-day activities without chronic aches, pains, and things, in addition to then being able to be successful on a regular basis with a fitness routine. Um, Because too, there's so much related to, you know, both men and women, but really, if you think about the primary purpose of the pelvis, it's really to be a load transfer point for the whole body. So if that load transfer point is not able to be successful, then that load has to be distributed somewhere else. And it creates a lot of unhelpful, repetitive loading on parts of the body that were not designed to support that. And so for women. mm -hmm. Break that down. Give me an example of that. Because even uh, Mm -hmm. I'm sure some people are like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Sure. So if you think about any time we go to lift or carry something, we need to be able to organize our top half of our body over our legs. Mm -hmm. The point, the axis point that joins the upper half and the lower half is that pelvis. Mm. Our pelvis is connecting our legs to the upper half. And also the spine is connecting that rib cage to the pelvis. So it's literally kind of more kind of the, the skeletal foundation of your body. Yeah. That and, it, and it's also where all your, your muscles are going to cross, correct? Essentially. There's such a huge crossover. Yeah. Upper and lower half. Also just speaking kind of back to the definition of like our core, right? So yes, the general public often will kind of, if someone was probably asked randomly off the street, they're going to say like your six pack abs, which I totally understand. And that's part of your core. But I kind of described to my patients, like your core is literally your whole torso as a unit, mm-hmm. like 360 degrees around that. And so all of the muscular systems that are creating that muscular corset, if you will, of support around your body are attaching around the rib cage, and then they're attaching all the way around the pelvis. So that unit, in order for it to be successful, we have to have a really solid base of a foundation, which is all of the team from a fascial and muscular standpoint that surrounds the pelvis 360 degrees. Yeah. So if there is a weak link or weak links in that or in and around that pelvis, then that individual is not going to be successful long-term with loading as well as any type of jumping or running type activities. Mm -hmm. So this is then where we start to have, you know, kind of repetitive injuries or chronic injuries that never fully get resolved when we're not addressing what's going on at that primary load transfer point at the pelvis. Yeah, that makes sense. And that kind of leads me into one of the questions I had, especially when you're talking about uh, injuries and repetitive injuries, what are some of the, and obviously it's going to vary person to person, but some of the most common uh, things that you see as Uh, kind of a red flag for, hey, this is the start of some pelvic floor dysfunction, or this, these are some very clear symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction. And are they the same between women and men? Or do you start to see a difference uh, in women and men? With women, are you seeing difference in, uh, you know, uh, uh, postpartum versus prenatal? Like, what is, what are the things that people can start to look for internally um, to start to recognize whether or not this might be affecting them. 
That's a great question. So, you know, some of these symptoms sure could be, you know, for both men and women, I specialize in women's pelvic health. And so I'm not going to pretend to know all of the symptoms and things that show up for men. Mm -hmm. But in general, if we don't have good control of bowel and bladder function, there's definitely going to be a pelvic floor issue. Um, Sometimes that's like literally just being able to hold your bowel and bladder until you can get to the bathroom or until you can get to a place where it's appropriate to void and or just increased urgency and frequency needing to go a lot during the day. And not just because we've been hydrating a lot, but like the, the average healthy bladder, both for men and women, we're looking at a frequency of somewhere around about five to eight voids in a 24 hour period, one of which to happen overnight, that would be considered a typical bladder. If we're going more than that, that is when we would consider a, we have an urgency frequency Mm -hmm. symptom that's happening that needs to be explored. Um, But also looking at um, if there's any pelvic pain in and around that area, that could be related to pelvic floor muscles or referral of pain of something going around the pelvis that's not being, you know, more optimally supported. Um, Heaviness in the pelvis. um, A lot of times this is more of a postpartum development pattern called pelvic organ prolapse. So either the bladder, the uterus, or the rectum, or a combination of those three internal organ systems actually starts to descend down due to a variety of reasons. This can be uh, developed due to kind of birthing trauma and or a pelvic floor that doesn't get supported well postpartum in the healing process. And that can create other challenges where they go back into high level activities or exercise or running before their body is really ready to do that. And that creates a lot of other dysfunction between the Mm -hmm. body being able to support those internal organs within that pelvic bowl because that pelvic floor wasn't um, rehabbed appropriately Mm -hmm. to accept those loads. Um, But yeah, in general, the, the general kind of symptoms I would say are pelvic pain, heaviness in the pelvis and, or, uh, challenges holding bowel and bladder and or increased urgency frequency of bowel and bladder. And then there's a variety of kind of um, pain and dysfunction that can also happen with intimacy. So um, pain in and around kind of the genital region with like just external touch. Sometimes it's heightened sensitivity, sometimes low sensitivity, Mm -hmm. um, as well as uh, pain or abnormal sensation with penetration for women. So that all of those things are going to be red flags for me in terms of wanting to investigate further as to what's going on within the pelvic floor region. But I'm still always looking at what's happening at the pelvic floor, but also what's happening around the pelvis because the pelvic floor is not happening on its own island. It is happening as a result of what's going on within its environment. So So are you saying then you know, piriformis, glute medius, glute max, dysfunction, all mm-hmm. those types of things can then contribute along to, or vice versa, right? Yeah. Um, totally. And you could see, uh, you know, that it makes so much sense. <laughs> As we talk about it more and more, it makes so much sense <laughs> why you say, hey, it's not pelvic floor by itself and, and uh, orthopedics by itself. They're integrated because it's, there, your glute is literally right next to it, and uh, and 
I would say in most people, most PTs opinions that I've talked to, the glutes are probably your most important muscles. Uh, they're, they're a pretty big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, uh, they, they help just a little bit with, uh, some low back stability and general spine health, you know? Uh, so it makes as well sense as shock that, absorption with your jumping and loading activities. Yeah. Yeah. So it would make sense then that you could see, uh, two dysfunctions right next to each other anatomically, you know, really be effective. Um, I have, I have yet to treat a pelvic floor issue where I'm not needing to provide education on how to strengthen the other muscles around the pelvis. Right. They, they have to be treated together because the pelvic floor itself, you can strengthen that all you want till the cows come home. But if you're not addressing what's happening around the pelvis, then we're not supporting that pelvic floor to be successful in day-to-day life because it's not just responding by itself. So the analogy that I love to use with my patients is like, if you imagine that the pelvic floor is your MVP on your soccer team, and you're just telling your MVP to show up to practice and to show up to training and to bust their butt in practice all day long, but the rest of the team is not told to show up. Mm. And then on game day, we ask everybody to show up. How well do we expect that team to do in the game? Right, yeah. And game they day, they have to life. have practice together. Yeah, and game day in life, like you said, could be picking up the kids, picking up groceries, picking, you know, 100%. trying to get back to to running or, or normal life. Um, it's not always a. Uh, I think sometimes when people, when we give that analogy of game day, people think of like this big grand gesture of, oh, it yeah. has to be this hard. Like, no, it could be something very simple, but you're like you said, your body isn't organized, uh, in order to brace itself for whatever that activity is. Um, uh, one of the other questions I had, and I was thinking about this, uh, before we, we got on this call today is, you know, when people, cause when I associate public floor dysfunction, I associate mm-hmm. it personally postpartum, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yep. uh that is, in my opinion, probably where you see it the most often. What are things that um, females could be doing, you know, during their pregnancy to A, have a better pregnancy, right? And a better experience that Mm -hmm. way, but also to cut down on the potential of uh, pelvic floor dysfunction postpartum. Not saying that, hey, this is going to be the the end all be all and we're never going to have pelvic floor dysfunction, but I'm assuming right. there's some things that can be done along the way to uh, help have a better experience. Totally. So in a perfect system, what I recommend to any of my fellow ladies that I can be in touch with beforehand is during your prenatal process, I highly recommend any pregnant mama bring a pelvic floor PT on their medical team. So just mm-hmm. like the OB is there or a midwife, you've got, you know, your lactation consultant, you've got a doula, there's, you know, you build your team to help mm-hmm. you through that process. Have a pelvic floor PT on your team. And I recommend checking in with your pelvic floor PT through each trimester so that we can help you understand what are the kind of more typical body changes that are going to be happening. And then also how to support those changes through those periods and to help you understand what's normal or not normal. 
and also to understand how to best support your body physically through pregnancy in terms of helpful strength training, because strength training is such an important piece that helps women be successful through this beautiful yet very challenging process of growing a human. There are so many stressors on the system that have to happen in order for life to be brought into this world. And the best way to support that system is by having adequate strength put into the system. And ideally, even if I could like rewind further, I would say meet with a pelvic floor PT when you think you might want to try starting to have a family and set your body up to be successful from a physical standpoint, as well as the nutritional and emotional and all those other pieces, right? We're not talking about in our current society, how to set you up to be successful physically for pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge piece in terms of what helps a lot of women be more successful through their pregnancy is when they have good guidance and support to know how to best stay strong. There's so much misinformation around treating pregnant women as fragile and telling mm -hmm. them just to rest and just walk or just do yoga, right? Right. We need more support in the system for this very stressful event. And the body is continuing to be loaded more and more through that process and as relaxing hormone kicks in to accommodate all of the, the these changes and space to accommodate for baby's growth, the best way to support that hyper flexible system is with strength training. Mm -hmm. And pregnant women are not fragile. They just need to be given good information about how to load their system to support their system. Right. Not to overload it with a lot of cardiovascular training that's good for your heart, but that's not helping muscles to build resiliency for the extra load that's being placed on the body. Yeah. And so the best person to bring on your team to help answer those questions for each individual, because again, it shouldn't be a cookie cutter model. Each body is going to have different unique needs as well as different movement experiences because not everyone necessarily was always active prior to pregnancy. Not right. everyone was always maybe interested in, you know, a regular fitness program or whatnot, or maybe they never even participated in strength training prior to getting pregnant. So it's, it's helpful to have a movement professional like a pelvic floor PT who understands the unique needs of the prenatal and the postpartum body to be able to guide women to make those decisions instead of just consulting Dr. Google or Dr. Instagram and that kind of thing right. for what each body needs. And also it changes through each trimester. And so what might be appropriate during one trimester isn't going to be appropriate for another. And so having someone like us to be able to, to guide and work with each mom in their own way and also to address what are their goals in terms of what they want to be able to do during their pregnancy as well as right. postpartum. Yeah. So yeah, that that makes a lot of sense, right? Is uh it's not mm -hmm. like you said, it's not cookie cutter. And so no. uh and I you don't think about all the different people that you bring on to your team necessarily during your pregnancy. And so adding yeah. adding that person to to your team to help guide you throughout that um is a great decision, right? And a great um, 
resource that you have at your fingertips. What, um, for people that are looking up bringing a pelvic floor uh, PT onto their team, because even if you ask yeah. me right now, and I've been around mm -hmm. PTs for a while, I yeah. wouldn't know what to look for. I, I wouldn't know, uh, you know, what letters after the name mean <laughs> what, um, and yeah. where should I go? So are there some good resources that um, women can go to or people can go to and to try to find someone in their local area and stuff like that? Absolutely. So one of the best um, kind of recommendations that I often make is there's a really awesome kind of international organization that is um, has created a pelvic health directory. So a lot of us oh, cool. as clinicians have opted into this membership to help further and support the profession as well as to help make it easier for the general public to find a provider near them. And so the directory itself is free for people to access and all you have to do is type in your zip code or you know your area and it will populate a list based on who is within you know, a certain amount of miles from what you're entering. And then you can kind of access a bunch of us clinicians and it has kind of like our bio and what areas we specialize in, whether it's women's pelvic health, men's pelvic health, both variety of things. Yeah. Um, and so that's listed at pelvicguru.com. Pelvicguru.com. Yeah. And that was started by a pelvic health PT here in the States that, um, that was originally like her website and it has, it was a blog way back in the day before. Right a lot of this and social media was really uh, affluent. And so now she's created this incredible community and international resource. Most of the clinicians are within kind of like uh, the US and Canada, but it's, mm -hmm. it's growing and becoming international. So anyone who is catching this podcast in, the in theory should be able to find someone near them or at least within, I can speak to the, the US medical model, um, you have access to clinicians who are within your state of residency that have a state of licensure to practice in that state. So you can always mm -hmm. do a virtual or telehealth kind of consult too. Um, if there's not someone that's within a reasonable driving distance from you. So that can be another way to seek help or support too. Um, if someone isn't able to see a clinician locally, there's more of us that are popping up each year and kind of going through this advanced specialty and things like that. Um, but sometimes depending on people that live in more rural areas or just smaller towns may or may not have um, as easy of a time finding a clinician near them. So that's an option. Yeah. Um, and that was one of my questions for you as well is in, in your experience, especially right now with uh, COVID and the pandemic, uh, yeah. I understand why people would be hesitant to go out and meet someone face to face in person uh, that they had never worked with in the past during a pregnancy, right? And, totally. and they would have yeah. some reservations. Um, in your experience, do you think this type of Zoom session would work uh, and would be beneficial for someone looking for pelvic floor because it is such a uh, an intimate, you know, uh, program really is what I would call it. Um, would they would they benefit from something like this? So had you asked me pre-pandemic, I would have kind of like written it off and said, you know what, it's really just best to see someone in person. Yeah. Um, I will say now I completely changed my mind. So I find that both are really great. And in some situations, I still think that an in-person appointment is best, especially if we need 
to kind of further diagnose what's really going on from an internal standpoint and needing an, a physical internal exam to be able to rule in or rule out certain specific issues or conditions. Mm-hmm. However, there is still a lot of really high quality patient education that can be translated well over Zoom or a virtual platform. And I think that with that, I've seen my ability to support a lot of patients during this process from a virtual standpoint that otherwise would not have had a resource to get help or answer questions, um, but also to help them at least just have better tools to be able to kind of navigate the things that they're experiencing. And for a lot of my uh, prenatal moms, it's been really helpful to for them if they're reaching out to me from kind of a prophylactic standpoint of nothing's really bothering them, but they just want to continue to feel good. We can do a lot of education and or I can do movement assessments with them virtually. Right. And we can kind of develop a bit of sort of a, an exercise routine for them to be doing and a virtual platform absolutely provides what they need. And then what I'm finding that's been really awesome too, is from a postpartum standpoint, um, if I already have a relationship with my patients through their pregnancy, then postpartum, I'm often checking in with them on a virtual level, like week three and getting Mm -hmm. on a zoom with them because it's really, really freaking hard to leave the house in those early weeks. Um, as well as just trying to navigate, okay, how do I leave the house while also if I'm nursing and, you know, little one only has a certain window around which I can maybe leave the house. Do we have childcare and then insert a pandemic? There's just so many things, right? And so being able to provide support through a virtual platform to help them and answer questions and whatnot is I've found from feedback from my patients, as well as just me in that experience, noticing how much we can provide help. Um, to guide them during those early weeks. Because again, back to kind of our traditional medical model right now, through the prenatal period, it is all baby-centered care. Every Mm -hmm. single appointment is looking at how's baby doing through this whole process. Right. Mother-centered care is getting thrown out the window. And then you have the baby and all of your prep through pregnancy is all about D-Day, meaning delivery. Right. And that's an important piece. Do not get me wrong. It needs to be an and, though, in my opinion. It needs to be how is baby and how is mom doing? What support does mom need? And going through that whole process, everything is kind of geared towards preparing mom for delivery. And then after delivery, it just becomes this black hole of nothing. And then you have delivery to about, okay, we'll see you at your six-week postpartum visit. And so there's these six weeks of just like, what am I supposed to do? Is this normal? Is this not normal? You know, your body's just gone through this really, you know, challenging event on your body. And now you are not getting any sleep. You are immediately full-time mom. Your body is now being used not just to bring baby into the world, but now you're trying to heal while also, you know, nursing, swaddling, holding, carrying, all of these things. And so there's so many physical demands that are being placed on your body, not to mention all the emotional changes that are happening. And so having your pelvic health PT on your team to consult with and go, what's normal, not normal? How do I prepare myself for these six weeks? What should I be doing during these six weeks? Because that's a long time to be wondering, what do I do? Yeah. And there's already so many questions with the baby of what am I supposed to do? And then not to know how to best support your body is really unhelpful. So You go to that six-week postpartum visit, and then most women, unless there's a major red flag or an infection or something like that, most women are cleared at six weeks to ease back into everything, 
exercise, intimacy, all the things. You're good. Bye. Right. And you are given no additional guidance. That's it. That that's crazy to me. When you said that, uh, you know, we we were talking before this, and you said that you it's like that black hole after D Day, right? And yep. The first thing that popped into my head is how and why do they kind of is it this black hole when it is the one time in your life when you probably have the most questions you've ever had in your entire life you mm -hmm. probably have the most question marks around everything not not everything. Uh, not just your baby but your own body your like I, I mean literally everything is probably upside down at that mm -hmm. point and so it is mind-boggling to me that it's just like oh we're good luck See, see you in mm -hmm. a month and a half. And, uh, yeah. and then, and then that ultimate, uh, that phrase that I love of oh, cleared, cleared to return, uh, ease back into it. Right. Mm -hmm. And what is ease back into it? I don't even know what ease back into it means. That's, uh, I think a made up thing that some guy made up in the 1700s. Um, and, yeah. and let's, let's go for it. So, yeah, that it's crazy to me that that has happened, and I'm glad that you, you know, in a way, it's I'm kind of glad for the pandemic to put the light into this type of telehealth. It I think it's easier. Yeah. I know for me, it's easier for my schedule. I don't have to worry about the driving there, driving back. A one hour appointment turns into realistically two, two and a half hours of, of right. time out of my day. And I can still get the information that I need from someone that's highly qualified. Um, right. And like you said, you can uh, check in sooner, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's easier to check in. And uh, what's funny is, and it makes a lot of sense on one of my last guests that I was talking to, she said one of the big things that she's noticed in doing a lot of these uh, telehealths during the, during the pandemic is the increase of like self-efficacy of care, right? Yeah, is, totally. Uh, patients typically think uh, they're gonna come in and you have hands of God and you know every single theory and every single book and like all they have to do is lay there and you'll just be like, oh, and, you're, and they're healed, right? right. And that's not, <laughs> that's not how it works. Um, they no. still have to put in work and so giving them the education and and really the peace of mind to say, yes, this is okay, this is right, go do it now, they have that self-efficacy to say, okay, like I can I can do this. Absolutely. It makes it, I think, a little bit more of a, a joining of forces, even though that's something that I absolutely do with my patients already. And um, every first visit, I'm always saying, hey, this is a you and me coming together as a team to support you, not a me directing your care without any input or, you know, discussion around what feels good for you. Is this helping you to reach your goals? What things are important to you? How do we want to navigate towards these things? As an expert in this area, this is what I would recommend based on these things. How do you feel about that? Also, how does that feel in your body based on, you know, over a course of visits with each other? But it it has absolutely created a different level of involvement with my clients through the virtual platform because they have to give me different information. Mm -hmm. In order for me to help them, I'm asking them questions and all that. But then I 
I have to wait for their feedback because I don't have a physical body in front of me. I can't depend on what do I feel with my hands from a manual standpoint that I can often do with an in-person client. But at the same time, it's created, I think, a very helpful kind of cross communication between the two of us to be able to figure out what works and what doesn't. Does a virtual platform work for everybody? No, but I think that it definitely has created a lot more opportunity for more people to get care that they wouldn't otherwise get. And I think, like you said, it has, um, I think, improved in some ways the relationship that patient to provider relationships can have due Mm -hmm. to just the different environment. And maybe that's also because people like get to be at home and they can kind of feel like they're on their turf a little bit instead of going to somebody else's practice and feeling like you're in that medical office and feeling like, okay, I, I'm the patient, you're the provider, you're on a pedestal above me. I think being kind of on zoom and knowing that we're both like in our specific spaces, it, it might also kind of create less of that kind of environmental power shift and might just kind of level the playing field a little bit differently. Yeah, that's a good point that honestly, I never even really thought about is that uh, level that playing field. Um, uh, Postpartum. um, Yeah, what? uh, So kind of started talking about this earlier, but we have that black hole and then we have uh, a just just ease back into it. Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, you know, one of my questions is, what are some of the things? um, And again, painting with a broad, broad stroke brush here, everyone's going to be different. But Um, typically postpartum, if everything's healthy and everything's good and we're, how long should it take to heal? What is a a typical return back, return back to sport or return back to normal activity look like, um, for someone where everything went pretty smooth? Yeah, good question. So I'm going to first kind of come from a vaginal delivery standpoint. And then Mm -hmm. we can kind of talk C-section because those are two Mm -hmm. very different recovery periods. So from a vaginal delivery standpoint, if we didn't have any complications or any tearing of the pelvic floor or during that delivery process, then on average, you know, tissue healing time of the pelvic floor is the same as any other tissue healing period of any other muscle in the body. So that time period on average, considering that we don't have any complications, is going to be around three to four months in terms of tissue healing. Now, in my opinion, and what I see mostly with my clients is that that tissue healing window is likely going to need to be more closer to four to six months, because that three to four months is assuming someone is getting full nutrition, full sleep and recovery, like they're just having to care for themselves. And that's and not going to happen. That's not happening. Yeah. So most of the time, that window is going to be longer than that three to four mm-hmm. month mark. That doesn't mean that we can't be doing activities and that we can't be doing a gradual strengthening program to return to that. But just full tissue healing cycles are going to need that little bit of that longer benchmark because of that- the added complication. I'm glad you you said that because that brings up a good point of, you know, I'm thinking in my head four to six months, that's a lot longer than that six week return, return to sport. What do I do after the six week to six month period of time? Um, That's the first thing I popped into my head. I'm like that. I'm no Mm -hmm. mathematician, but that doesn't add up to me. Exactly. And so this is one of my biggest soapboxes around, we have this six week postpartum visit and we're telling women they're all clear and their tissues alone are nowhere near 
full cycle of healing, let alone the most women, about 50% of women that have a vaginal delivery sustain a second degree tear of the pelvic floor, which is equivalent to a second to third degree tear from an orthopedic muscle injury standpoint, which would be on restriction for three to four months typically with a very specific graded protocol of how to return to whatever sport you're trying to get back to and would automatically be referred to a physical therapist in order for that process to be designed and led appropriately. No patient in that case would be told, just ease back into things, listen to your body. But somehow we have decided that it is an exception for women in that case, even though from a tissue injury standpoint, they are identical. And let me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I want to break it down to any of the guys that might be listening. This would be equivalent to a high ankle sprain, right? What, what most people would call a high ankle sprain, uh, football and you're out for, you're out for multiple months in terms of how long you would be out. Yes. In terms of the tissue injury. No, because it's, you know, tendons, ligament or ligaments right, versus right, right. a tendon and muscle belly. But yeah, in terms of like how long you, you would be sidelined. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or if you had, you know, a quad strain or what I often describe as like, let's say you had, you know, a pretty significant hamstring strain from a sport, you would be benched, you'd be out for a while, you'd be recommended to go to PT, we'd have to do a very gradual loading and, you know, progression of strength training, as well as then gradual return to you know, running drills, cutting drills, doing non-contact for a while, and then starting to grade you into practice of like 10 minute, 15 minute increments, seeing how you respond all over the course of usually probably a 12 to 16 week program. Yeah. Yeah. They don't send Antonio Brown back on the field right after uh, a hamstring pull, right? He is very carefully monitored and strengthened back up and remobilized and like you said the drills that go along with it um yet women just ease back into it just ease back into it and the other challenge here too is that women already i mean you're carrying swaddling all kinds of things i mean the average baby now is you know anywhere between eight to ten pounds and so having to carry all of that all the time with a grade to tear to your pelvic floor that can't be really immobilized, right? Like mm-hmm. if you have a hamstring or, you know, some other injury, oftentimes we're going to kind of limit you. We can sometimes partially immobilize the area so that tissue is not constantly being loaded, but you can't do that to the pelvic floor, let alone you still have to, you know, go to the bathroom there as well as that's still the, that foundation of your core system that's helping to provide stability for your whole body for day-to-day activities. So we're not giving women enough guidance to understand how that tissue needs extra time for healing because they're just being given the six week, you're all clear. So I don't blame women for assuming, oh, that means like everything should be good to go, Mm -hmm. but it's not, we would never send somebody back on the field in that case. That would be considered negligent from a medical standpoint. But it's somehow not negligent to do that to women postpartum, which is really unkind. So we have have that issue. And then we're also not giving them the adequate resources to know how to grade back in. Yeah. Why do you think that is? In your your opinion, why is it 
this system of, of the black hole or the cliff where it just falls off and you're on your own uh, after a certain point in time? Um, I have a few hypotheses. Um, one, kind of back to my comment around, it is purely baby-centered care all the way through. Mm-hmm. And it's considered a successful pregnancy and delivery if baby is all good. Mm-hmm. We're not looking at mom, um, which I think is a huge miss because yes, baby's important, but I would argue that in order for baby to thrive more fully, baby will thrive when mom thrives. Mm-hmm. If we're just worrying about baby thriving, but we're not worrying about mom, how well is that baby going to do if mom starts to not get the care that she needs, both? from a mental support standpoint, as well as a physical support standpoint. And that goes down a whole nother rabbit hole that would be a whole nother podcast around kind of mental health around all of this stuff. Yeah. Because that's a huge issue here too. So postpartum depression, anxiety, all that, both during the prenatal, kind of prenatal anxiety and depression, as well as postpartum, a huge amount of that is due to all of these physical changes that aren't being supported well and all the question marks that come up with that. And also how our pelvic health is absolutely a huge function of our ability to connect with our partners, intimacy, bowel and bladder mm-hmm. function. If you don't feel like you have control over those pieces, you're not going to feel comfortable to go out and about and like have a typical day. Cause if you're preoccupied with where am I going to go to the bathroom or can I do that without having a leaking episode or whatnot, that alone is going to create a lot of anxiety for someone. Yeah let alone then wanting to connect with a partner on an intimacy level. If you don't feel like you can control those things, or if we have pelvic pain, that's kind of a chronic issue that's constantly lingering. You're not going to then, Oh yeah, let's be intimate. That's like the last thing somebody wants to have. And then it starts to just create all of these other challenges around self-confidence. So there's that. Right. But I think too, what also is unfortunate within our medical system is I think we misunderstand, and I did this too until I started specializing in PT, in pelvic health PT, was assuming like, oh, we've been having babies forever. The body should know how to yeah. do that. So the body should also know how to heal. Like, no problem. But also women are really good at soldiering through discomfort and pain and all of these challenges. And unfortunately, all of these things are so common that people then start assuming common equals normal. Right. So there's this other big misconception, right? That so many women, it's normal for them to have leaking or maybe some pelvic pain or, you know, fill in the blank, not be able to get back to these higher level activities in terms of fitness. But that's just like, that's what happens after you have babies. And, that, and ladies, it that should not be your, your cost of admission into motherhood. It right. is not. Hit unsubscribe. That is not okay. Your body does have the capacity to heal. It also needs good information to know how to do that. Yeah. And it has required an entire specialty to be designed to help with that. And we're still learning a lot of information. Pelvic health PT is really freaking new. And this is the other challenge too, that we are not yet fully integrated into the medical system. Even a lot of medical professionals don't even know that we exist, Mm -hmm. let alone know what we do. And the other challenge is that the insurance model has set up OBGYNs to be the director of care for every single mom, Mm. which is not fair 
to put them in that position to make all of the calls and all the referrals and figure out what that mom needs. There should be a team. Right. But the way that the model is set up, the OB has to clear. They're the ones that have been told you give clearance. That OB has never been given training to understand how to return somebody to fitness and sport. Right. That is not part of their medical training. Because they're, they're focused on, like you said, that baby centric care, Mm -hmm. right? That is what they are trained on. And that's what they do is I got to get this baby out healthy. That's, that's my job. And then, and then I'm out on to the next one. Right. And that is, we need that training. We need those babies to come into the world. Right. And also making sure like, okay, mom is stable. Mm -hmm. Medically, she's stable. Does that mean that she's thriving? No, not necessarily, but she's medically stable. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then we're at the six week postpartum visit and the doctor, the OB at that point has maybe 10 minutes. Yeah. How are they supposed to assess the mom fully in that mode? And also how is the mom, how does she want to show up at that appointment? She doesn't want to show up and present herself as a hot mess. She right. wants to present herself like she's got everything together, even if she doesn't. Right. Because that's being a good mom. And this is a lot of other society messaging that's really unkind to women. But it's also the idea that women are expected to be okay at that six week and figure it out. And so the OB giving clearance is also just unfair. At that point, in my opinion, it should be that the OB says, hey, at your six week postpartum visit, you're all clear to now get referred to your public floor PT for them to help you with the next half. Right. That's how it should go because Pass I'm not trained on how to, yeah, I'm not trained on how to deliver the baby. That's like asking me to decide when is the baby clear to be delivered? I don't know. Right. Six weeks. Sure. Sounds know. good to me. Yeah. yeah that, um, you, uh, I think you brought up a, a lot of, um, uh, things that need to be talked about for, uh, you're unpacking a lot of that because it so much Mm -hmm. of what you said everything I'm just like yep yep you're right you're right and it's so much of it comes down to you know I am such a a huge advocate for mental health and taking Mm -hmm. care of your mental health I will bang that drum until the day I die uh your brain is an organ it's a part of your body just like anything else if your arm was broken you would go see a doctor if your brain is broken, I'm not going to call it broken, but if your brain is under distress and your mental emotional health is under distress, go see someone to, to get that taken care of. Uh, but that's still, that's still taboo, right? Almost to talk about, especially with men, right? We don't, oh, <laughs> we don't talk about emotions. We, we got it all figured out. Uh, but then, yeah. and but then compound that, like you said, with even more intimate things, like pelvic mm. floor dysfunction and intimacy problems and anxiety because uh, you don't you might not necessarily have control of your bowels, right? Compound all of that on top of then right. being a brand new mother, and, and I don't I, I take my hat off to every single mom that's done it because I could like you said I mean and my wife is going to probably take this clip and put it on repeat. But like you said, women, women power through, she can get the full fledged walking pneumonia 
and the flu and she's still going to work, I get the sniffles and I'm down for two days. I'm like, oh, it hurts. It hurts so bad. I get man sick, but she powers through. And so it's almost that expectation of the expecting the same thing, right? Is that, oh, you've, you've done this before, you know, you can power through. Um, but that's not the case. And, it, and, and you do need that education and the guidance to, to make some of those decisions and, and really just be guided in the right direction. Um, and that was uh, one of the other things that I wanted to bring up. And we were talking about this earlier, but your Facebook group, uh, remind, what is it again? It's called Mama Runs Wild. Mama Runs Wild. And so that is a free resource, right? Mm -hmm. For anyone yep. that wants to educate themselves on pelvic floor dysfunction like what what can people expect when they go to mama runs wild and start looking at some of the content yeah um so back in april as a product of the pandemic and whatnot this had kind of been a project that i'd wanted to start and then it kind of got accelerated due to the change in our environment um but i created this group as a free resource to help provide information for this black hole that we mm -hmm. continue to talk about and the lack of good support that women are given during their postpartum recovery process but also specifically for getting back to fitness and exercise safely and effectively and eventually to get back to running because that's one of my individual specialties still and where I support a lot of women who are wanting to get back to running. So I kind of took my very, very specific niche within the women's health space that I treat a lot um, and I created a group to provide information in there to help women who are interested in this information to know how to support their body through that postpartum period, what to expect in terms of, you know, their body, whether it's a C-section or a, a vaginal delivery, and then kind of what, what strengthening exercises are helpful to support the body through this process. And then also how to understand scaling back up to running, both from a strength standpoint, but also a movement mechanic standpoint and how to, what does gradual return to run even mean? Right. Because that can be a very broad phrase. So being able to kind of define that more often. So um, every Tuesday, I drop a, a Real Talk Tuesday, some type of kind of pelvic health myth buster, if you will, or where I feel like there's a lot of misinformation around pelvic health points, specifically around women's health. And then every Friday, I come on live for Coffee with Chris for usually about a 10 or 15 minute topic, something related to pelvic health and running and on a variety of different things. Um, and then I also sometimes bring in different guests to um, help talk on different topics that are outside of my wheelhouse. So for example, tomorrow I have two lactation consultants that are members of the group that are being so gracious to come on and share their expertise and how to kind of blend when you're nursing and getting back to running and some of the other just physical complications of that, as well as how do we support milk supply while we're also increasing energy activity levels, um, how to figure out when do you pump for however amount you're running, all these things that mm -hmm. I don't know because I am not a mom yet and I definitely haven't done any nursing. And so these are other places where, you know, other women's health professionals can kind of also come together to learn from each other, support each other, create a community, not just for the general public of, you know, mother runners, but also what I have called mother runner allies. So people that support um, mother runners, whether that's, you know, a medical professional or 
uh, prenatal postpartum fitness coach, um, other running coaches, fill in the blank. So yeah. it's a community for anyone who is interested in learning about pelvic health. Um, even if you're not wanting to necessarily get back to running, but you just want to better understand how to support yourself from a postpartum standpoint, the group is still absolutely a helpful resource for that. And so I have quite a few moms in there that are like, I hate running, but I want to know this stuff, <laughs> yeah. um, which is helpful too. Cause my other argument is if your body is strong enough to run, you are strong enough to do a lot of other physical things because yep. running requires a really high level of coordination and strength and loading in the system. So if it can do that, well, it can do a lot of other things. Well, which is another reason why I you know, saw a really good opportunity for myself as a running specialist from an orthopedic standpoint early on, and then blending my pelvic health, you know, knowledge and bringing the two together because not very many clinicians have the two to blend. So there's a lot of really awesome pelvic health PTs that don't know how to scale running because that's right. more in the sport and ortho training, just like a lot of sports and orthos can scale running really well, but they don't know the pelvic health part. So sometimes a lot of women would have to kind of see two different clinicians and try to kind of bridge the gap between those two to put it all together. So I just wanted to create a, a more helpful resource for people. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's a very, uh, a much needed resource for a lot of people that I think they can yeah. get a lot of help out of. Um, and yeah. I have one last question, uh, cause mm -hmm. I wanted to go back. I was just thinking about sure. it. Uh, I think we left, we went on a, a tangent and left some people on a cliffhanger. We talked <laughs> about recovery, postpartum, vaginal delivery. We said, yeah. Hey, we're also going to talk about C-section and then C -section. we never got to it. So yep. uh, for anyone that had a C-section, what would some of that recovery look like? Great question. So C-section recovery is going to be much longer than vaginal delivery. For C-section, we are needing to cut through the entire abdominal wall in order mm. to bring baby into the world. And actually we're cutting through about seven layers of important tissue in order mm. to get to the uterus that then has to be cut open into, to be able to bring baby into the world. So an entire abdominal wall that is cut through, if you had abdominal surgery, there would be a very strict protocol of how we are reintroducing you back into you know, lifting and loading, and you would be referred to a PT and you'd go through that whole process. Once again, pregnant women and then postpartum women are not given the same consideration, even though the conditions are very similar. So from really? a tissue, from a tissue healing standpoint, mm -hmm, that is from a tissue Healing standpoint, most women C-section, they, they get their incision checked at that six-week postpartum visit. And then again, they are given the all clear to ease back into things. They're given an all clear at six weeks after cutting yep. seven layers of tissue. Yep. That yep. is, whoever made that rule should be uh, locked up. That's just, that's not even, really uh, someone that has never gone through any medical training can understand that that's probably not right. Mm-hmm. You, you would think, right? So this is where we're at still. Yeah. And, um, in, you know, from just, again, a tissue healing situation, um, I, I prepped my, my mom is to say, Hey, that tissue needs a good solid six to nine months of healing before mm -hmm. we can even start to consider, you know, some more advanced loading and things in order for the system to do well. Plus there needs to be a lot of education around, 
scar tissue kind of massage and mobilization of that tissue because those seven layers each end up kind of developing their own layer of scar tissue, which then really inhibits the quality of movement because all those layers of tissue were designed to glide in Mm. order for the body to move well. So now we've taken out the gliding and now the abdominal muscles themselves contractibility wise from a muscle standpoint get disrupted. And so now we aren't distributing equal force through the abdominal wall that often leads to low back pain, hip issues. It can also lead to pelvic floor dysfunction, which most people are really shocked to learn about because they're like, oh, I didn't deliver through the pelvic floor. So that, that means my pelvic floor is cool. Not necessarily. Right. It just creates a different challenge to the system. And then I also say, remember that pelvic floor, even if you didn't deliver through it, it still carried your little one for nine months. Yeah. So it still underwent nine months of loading. Yeah. So that pelvic floor did not get off, you know, scot free. It right. still had to do a lot of work for you. And then we have the added challenge of tissue healing from an abdominal standpoint. So, especially if you have a C section, all moms in general, but especially C section, I always say, do yourself a favor and consult with the pelvic floor PT so we can help you. And our title, pelvic floor PT, a lot of people are like, oh, well, I had a C section. So, I'm, right. I don't need that. This is also where semantics, we're trying to kind of, as a profession, figure out what's a better term for us as professionals, mm-hmm. because it can be a little bit misguided based on the phrase, but having really, you need to work a lot on strength training, both vaginal delivery or C-section, but especially C-section because those muscles and those tissues need a lot of manual work to reestablish all that gliding. Mm-hmm. And then to be able to help those abdominal muscles relearn how to reconnect both from a physical standpoint, but also brain body reconnecting Yeah, as they can lose a lot of sensitivity kind of tissue wise because of the incision, which then makes it a lot harder for our brain to sense and feel what's happening. Yeah. So there's lots of other different techniques that we can use for helping with that sensitivity, both bringing kind of some different awareness and learning how to reconnect with your body there when we don't necessarily have the sensation intact. Some of that sensitivity will come back Um, as tissue heals and sometimes it won't. Um, And so with that, we want to be thoughtful just to help moms know what, what average tissue healing time and how to best support their body for healing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with my C-section moms, I'm like, Hey, you, I need you to understand there's going to be a longer healing process because those tissues underwent a really significant surgery. And then we're working to get them back to things, but you know, it's, it's a longer recovery road. And again, women are not being given good Uh, parameters around what average healing windows should be. Because again, we're all thinking six weeks means I'm all back to normal. And then insert society also with the whole like bounce back as if, you know, you get a, you get a gold star for like trying to very, you know, as quickly as you can show that your body didn't just make a human. Right. So there's a lot of mixed messaging too there that we are that women are bombarded with that's really unkind and unfair to their healing journey. And then we didn't even touch on, but then there's the whole, like, if women are lucky enough to have three months of maternity leave, 12 weeks is still not enough time for your body to be healed. And then we're sending women back to work full time. So there's, again, I understand why there's all of these mixed messages and women are wondering why they don't feel like they're back to themselves at six to 12 weeks. And that's just not realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Your body just, uh, 
physically isn't isn't ready and and cannot bounce back that fast from a right no physical standpoint and that doesn't mean that they did anything wrong which is the other thing a lot of women then insert oh i did something wrong or i'm not healing right or whatever it's like no it just takes a lot longer than you were told or a lot longer than is advertised right and that's also not okay and again these are healing windows assuming that there are no complications and often there are a lot longer than that because you're sleep deprived. Maybe you have more than one little at home that you're having to care for. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many variables here. What's your quality of sleep? Every little one, some little ones sleep well, some don't. Like there's so many factors here that again, make it really hard to help women understand what's, what is normal. And so that's mm-hmm. where I go, bring your pelvic health PT on your team so we can help you understand what's normal and define it for you because they, every woman deserves their own individualized support plan of care. It should not be cookie cutter. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, um, as I thought starting this, uh, I thought you would, uh, blow a lot of minds. I think I thought that I knew a decent amount. I realized that I know absolutely nothing. Um, I was, pretty shocked along the way to hear some of the things that are happening um, mm-hmm. in the healthcare system around this, but I am glad that there's people like you out there that are putting your your flag in the ground and, and staking your land and saying, hey, we're, you know, we're going to take this over and we're going to change the way the model works and we're going to change the conversation and we're going to get the education out there because that's, in, yeah. in my opinion, going to be the first step to to changing some of this. So that way, um, you know, hopefully, maybe not my generation, but the next generation will have better health outcomes and uh, it'll yeah. trickle down to, to everyone else. So uh, this was great. I really appreciate you taking the time. Any last words for anyone listening? Um, I just want to say thank you for, for even, you know, being open to having this discussion. We need more male allies in this space, supporting women's health, just like we need more allies within our own fellow lady support. So I appreciate you just being open to inviting me on to have this discussion because so many individuals can benefit from this. The the more, you know, men that know about this too, there's a lot of, a lot of, co-parents that are fathers um Mm -hmm. you know and so the more that co-parents also understand what their you know female co-parent is going through also is really important because i think that can really improve health outcomes too and advocating for different support and care um and you know the more that we talk about it the the more that people just get better information and access to information um so thank you for helping with with that Yeah, uh, I'll do what I can. Well, thank you again, uh, Dr. Christine Piaton. You can find her on Instagram at Piaton PT, correct? P-I-E-T-O-N-P-T. And um, yeah, this has been great. Thank you so much. Have a great night. You too. Take care.